gospel reading today comes again from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those for whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much again, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So when I read these texts this week, I've been sitting with them since Sunday evening. I feel a little excited, but mostly I feel a burden to them. Because I want a world like this. I want people like Joseph, and if you don't know the whole story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he rises through the ranks of the Egyptian power structure and becomes one of the most important people in Egypt. He had every right to be upset with the people who sold him to death. But instead, he invites them in, cares for them as one beloved to another. Gosh, I want a world when I know the people who I have hurt so much will come and gather me back in and let me know that I am forgiven. Or I listen to the gospel text today and I think, gosh, how nice would that world be? A world where people are loved, a a world where people are not judged, where they are not meant to carry heavy burdens of debt but are forgiven everything that they owe. I want that world. And here it is. Jesus is speaking of it, and it has been in our scriptures for hundreds and hundreds of years. And last I could see, it is not the case that that world exists. I want a world where there is giving and receiving, and everything is open-handed. That no one Doubts the other motive because there is love. In a phrase, when you think about what that world looks like, it would be the kingdom of God here on earth. The idea of what the world looks like when God designed for the world is lived out. And it's funny, when I look at this picture, 
I tried to look this morning for a representation of the kingdom of God. And if you look at every single one of these pictures from Google, they always seem to be out there somewhere. The best anybody can ever do is put some nice flowers and maybe some sunshine and write the words kingdom of God. Here it is in this text. And yet for some reason we can't even visualize it. And so we just sort of punt and we toss some pictures and maybe a cross up there for good measure. And I think it's one of those phrases that we use a lot in Christian society. It's a, one of those Christianese kind of words, right? Maybe we don't always know what it means. And so if you wanted to know what it looked like here, I can give you exactly what the kingdom of God looks like here on this earth in Luke today. But again, as we've gone through this entire series of living the impossible, we know that once again, this world can feel all too impossible to achieve. Because in part, it requires a different way of doing our lives that requires that we fight against some of our most basic instincts. I mean, here's the thing. If you, one of you, the end of the service, I don't recommend trying it because I don't know. But if somebody came up to me and slapped me after service, I'm not entirely convinced that I would say, do you want to have this one too? I'd like to think maybe, and maybe now that I've said it, but please again, don't. Um, we got to go eat, and so, you know, it's not worth the time. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I could do that. And maybe it seems like we could do some of this from one person to another. I've now been married seven years, and I know sometimes the best thing for me to do in the middle of an argument is turn the other cheek. Because sometimes I need to be slapped on both cheeks. Um, So maybe we can do it with our spouse. Maybe we can do it with our kids. But then you start to pull that circle out further and further and further. I mean, honestly, are there some of y'all in church right now that would say, well, if somebody on the other side of the church did something like this to me, I'm not sure I could forgive them. I mean, and we're not, I mean, we're, not a small church, but we're certainly not big either. It seems the further we have more people and more people and more people, it gets harder to actually believe that any of this could happen. And of course, let's not forget about the fact that this world that Jesus talks about in Luke 6 is the same world that he worked for for the rest of the Gospels to bring into the world, and it was the vision that led to his death. This vision of the world can kill people. Cultural norms have to be transgressed in this world in order for this vision to come to life. And after all, isn't it nice to have an enemy to blame on something? Isn't it nice to have people that you just don't need to like because when things are going bad, at least you can point to somebody and say it's their fault? This world means we have to let go of all of that. But everything that we've discussed in the last three weeks, everything that Luke has invited us to know about this Jesus that we are supposedly following, leads us to this moment and leads us to this question about how are we actually going to live out this world in a practical way? What does it look like? And if we really believe that this impossible life can exist, which y'all are here 
So I'm going to assume that you at least have some hope in that life existing, that the world Jesus talks about could come into being, then its life-altering changes will carry consequence. We didn't sign up for something that would just be free and easy, and we didn't have to have any sort of consequence in return. And I think it's easy to see, given that it must change us and it will change the world, and we have to be part of that, that we may be apt to drift back into church, into feeling safe, perhaps not even wanting to push the boundaries of the status quo in order to bring the kingdom of God forth. We're just apt to kind of drift back into a safer and safer and safer place. Don't ask too much of me, Pastor Adam. This is the place where I feel safe. Let's not ask too much of each other because, well, gosh, what do you expect of us? But let's be honest, if the scandal's rocking both the Catholic Church, which they had a huge moment here in this last weekend, and also the scandal's rocking the Southern Baptist Church, or any indication the unwillingness to move past the norms of power towards the kingdom have deeper and the most terrible of consequences to the people who are hoping to live their best life in this world. If we hide from the ways that Jesus Christ is going to change us, let's not presume that the quarters of the brokenness of this world can't reach the pews that we reside in on every given Sunday. So great, how do you do that? As I was trying to figure out what the answer was, I started thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr., throughout his entire vision of what he did, I believe was trying more than anybody else in the last hundred years to bring this vision of the kingdom to this world. And at first it was for African-Americans, but over time he started to recognize that it wasn't just African-Americans who needed this type of liberation, this type of world that's in Luke 6, but also for all of the poor people throughout this country. And in fact, it was at that point once the poor people campaign started up and got moving was the time that he was assassinated. So I think it tells us something about what happens when we try to bring the kingdom of God to a world that might not be ready to hear it. But in 1963, he penned a letter from his jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama, that called out the norms within the church, and in particular, the white church in Birmingham, in their desire to maintain the status quo. He says this in what's now called the letter from a Birmingham jail. I had the strange feeling when I was suddenly catapulted into the leadership of the bus protest in Montgomery several years ago, that we would have the support of the white church. I felt that the white ministers, priests, and rabbis of the South would be some of our strongest allies. Instead, some few have been outright opponents, refusing to understand the freedom movement and misrepresenting its leaders. All to many other have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. Even though this was penned over 
50 years ago. I'm not sure it doesn't carry some resonance to us today. Because it is far too easy when the going gets tough in this impossible life to find ways to feel extra safe. And so as part of this letter, too, he outlined some of the steps that he was working with in Birmingham to bring forth change. And I've listed them here. The first one is information gathering. He wanted to be able to understand and articulate an issue, problem or injustice, facing a person, community, or institution. He did his research. Investigating and gathering all the vital information from all sides of an argument or issue to increase the understanding of the problem. Become an expert on the thing that you know is causing the biggest problems. And then after that was education, essential to inform others, including the opposition, about an issue which minimizes misunderstandings and gains support and sympathy. I can't remember the last time in a debate I heard two two sides actually honestly at opening sharing, sharing their position in a way that was thoughtful and meaningful and generated support and sympathy. The third thing is personal commitment. It was this idea of daily checking and affirming one's faith in the philosophy philosophy and methods of nonviolence. Eliminate hidden motives and prepare yourself to accept what potential suffering there may be in the work of justice. The fourth step was discussion and negotiation. Using grace, humor, and intelligence, confront the other party with a list of injustices and a plan for addressing and resolving those injustices. Look for what is positive in every action and statement that the opposition makes. Don't seek to humiliate an opponent. Apparently we've forgotten about how to do that. But call forth the good in an opponent. The fifth step direct action is these sections are action these actions are taken and when the when the person on the other side is unwilling to enter into or remain in discussion to create creative tension to seek justice to walk towards justice and then finally the sixth step of reconciliation seeking friendship and understanding with the opponent it doesn't seek to defeat the opponent it's not Nonviolence is directed against systems and forces and policies and acts, but not against individuals. Each act of reconciliation, King thought, was a step towards the beloved community, which I believe is just one more way to say the kingdom of God here on earth. How much of a world when we could describe our positions, we could thoughtfully look to the other who doesn't agree with us, come up with some sort of meaningful way to eliminate the injustices we see around us? What a world that would look like. It's a world I would want to be a part of. It's the world that I hear when Luke talks about what Jesus was saying in Luke 6 today. It's a world resurrected and restored and redeemed. And so what does that look like for us here? And I think our danger here at Old Stone Presbyterian Church in a safe area with a secure budget and a stable congregation will be just as apt to stay here and be safe. 
what existential risk do we have? And so we can be here and be safe and not roam out to find where the world needs us most. In another way, we need to take seriously another part of King's letter when he says, in the early days of the church, it was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They brought to an end such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. I'm guessing right now there is something that you're thinking about that you think is not right in your community. That it is not the way that Luke 6 tells us the world should be. And how are we a voice for that and the people who are affected so deeply by that? And here's the thing, this indictment is for the entire church, but perhaps we ought to think about it as Old Stone Presbyterian Church as well. Where are the places that perhaps we have been too silent about the things around us? But I don't think it has to be this way. I don't think we have to just look at Luke 6 and say, well, it sounds like a nice dream, but this side of heaven, it's not going to happen. I think it can I think we can get to know our neighborhood, our section of the world that resides somewhere between Delaware and Marysville and Marion and Dublin. Kind of the Buckeye Valley, but beyond that as well. Where we are smack dab in the middle of. Knowing who is around us and not expecting them just to come here. Our call to worship at times may need to be the referee's whistle while just at the start of the next basketball game. Our hymns are the resonant clangs and choruses of hammers as we repair the homes all around our neighborhood that are falling apart in disrepair. And not just six hours away on one week, but over and over again when people are demanding help and they have no other place to go. Our benedictions might be the tears wept as we hold hands of someone escaping violence from their home at one of the new shelters just built in Delaware, or perhaps here as we are caring for people through family promise. The blessings and the ability to send one another out with the joy of Jesus Christ is there in those moments. This place and this time is sacred, but it cannot be more so than the people who are literally dying waiting for the world to change at this moment. Just as one statistic, 13.6% of the children in Delaware County schools right now are economically disadvantaged enough to receive reduced or free lunch. It's not small. And we're one of the counties that's better off than most of them. If you look at the same number in Franklin County, it's close to 60% of the children in Franklin County are economically disadvantaged enough 
to receive free and reduced lunches. What world is that? And so we learn these stories, and we know the numbers, and we get to know the people around us, and we know it so well that we notice when the world is not going the way that it should, and it's making people's lives more difficult. I know right now that in this congregation there are people whose stories need to be told. And that we want justice for these individuals. We want the world of Luke 6 to come alive in their lives. We want redemption for them, and we seek it thoughtfully with the people around us, with the gifts that every single one of you bring to bear every single day that you live. All of the things that you are good at can be used. But finally, we have to ask ourselves and continue to ask ourselves if we're willing to live this impossible life. The one that we've talked about for the last four weeks. And I doubt that any of us will face violence. Very few of us will be asked to get run off a cliff like Jesus was when we started this. But if we are doing this well and we are pushing against the systems of the world that would rather stay where they are, we should expect that people might not be happy. I mean, for goodness sakes, we as a church get mad when our prayers and pews are moved around. How much more would we get upset if we ask people to lift one another up from the poverty that they deal with every single day because we think they're too lazy? I mean, goodness sakes. Don't we all for a moment want to live into a life that urges our feet into Christ-like motion to the places we might fear the consequence because we actually seek this beautiful world redeemed. And friends, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your lot in life. Each one of you have the chance to say, this story is not the story of a redeemed world. We need to do something about it. Our mission committee is going to take on this exact question as in a few weeks they're going to distribute a survey out to say, what are the needs of our community that we need to figure out today? So that instead of always thinking that the problem is somewhere else to be restored, it could be right here amongst the people that we love so much. And it might not be in our lifetime. Recently, if you saw in the news, there were some incidents in Circleville where there were hate-filled posters disseminated everywhere. This is still happening today. Martin Luther King, when he was assassinated, had a 75% disapproval rating. But the world can move towards justice. And if these four weeks have hopefully walked us towards anything, is that this impossible life, the one where everyone has a place, the one where we will sing, oh, for a world where everyone respects each other's ways, that hymn will be sung, that we believe it and we work to achieve it, that it's not just something we sing for a few minutes on a Sunday and then go back to our normal, safe, comfortable lives. Lent's coming up. And so I invite each of you, as we wander through Lent together, 
to take this moment, this message. And think about what does it mean to move with Jesus in this moment, to move towards justice. Because, friends, I am convinced, more than I've ever been, that this church can be a beacon for thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thanks be to God.